0: Good evening and welcome again to Sunday night service here at Moody Church. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us tonight as we launch tonight into a brand new series that we're gonna cover for the next four Sundays. And that's right, you didn't hear us wrong. We're going to talk about politics. Now, maybe for some of you, you're excited and you're saying, thank you. I, I want to know more. I want to know what, what the church has to say, what God's word has to say. Maybe some of you are like, oh my goodness, this is all I ever hear and I wanted to get away from it. That's why I'm worshiping with you tonight, to get away from all the noise around us. So why are we talking about this well first off it is obviously the largest issue in our world today as we are just about two weeks away um, from our upcoming presidential election here in the US but it's not just a popular issue that's not reason enough to, to do a sermon series on something but it's also something that the Bible speaks to that, that has a lot to inform us and we're going to look also over the next several weeks not just at these the issue of politics but what it does to us as people and how our response should be not just what we should do as far as a voting booth but but what our response should be to others and to the culture at large in which we live now a few, um, a few notices up front, a few disclaimers if you would. I am not by any means a political expert. I have never studied politics formally. I never interned in Washington DC. I've pay honestly quite little attention to it compared to what someone who'd be very interested in it is. So I am not an expert on political matters. Also, I want to give you this disclaimer. If you came to this service tonight, if you're tuning in or you're going to tune in over the next month and you're hoping that by tuning in, you're going to hear a candidate endorsed or we will tell you who you need to vote for, you will leave disappointed. My goal in this is not at all to try and convince you of who to vote for or to endorse a specific candidate. Most, if not all of you, have already decided that. But my goal here in the next few weeks, as we open God's word together, as we read and study passages of scripture, is that wherever we find ourselves on the political spectrum, whether that's left or right, whether we identify as a Democrat, a Republican, an independent, a libertarian, whatever else is out there, whatever you identify yourself as political, my hope is that all of us will feel maybe just equally uncomfortable that as God's word starts to make its way into our hearts and our lives that we will allow our faith and our relationship with Jesus to override our political lens with which we view the world and instead view our world first through the lens of Jesus and his word and so we are not here to endorse political candidates we are not here to say you need to vote for a certain platform or position We're here to look at what God's word has to say to us and how we should live the witness that we can have in this time that we find ourselves here in 2020. Well, I know how I have felt and I do feel about the political climate in which we find ourselves, but I was just curious, I didn't think it was so, but I was just kind of curious, hey, you know what? I wonder if I'm the only one who kind of thinks certain things about the climates in which our political realm is happening right now. So I put out a question this week on my Facebook and I just said, hey, in, in one word, would you tell me how you feel about, how you would describe our political climate, right? Just one word, how you describe it. I received dozens of responses, dozens of responses from people, lots of whom are work here at church, elders at church, people who come to Sunday night service here at church, lots of them, people that I haven't seen in over a decade people who go to church people who have never gone to church and I kind of compiled the the results of that the the several dozen into what's called a, a word cloud and a word cloud goes like this that the bigger the font the more something occurred in the people's responses to it but you can see some themes emerging through these dozens of responses to this question how would we describe the political climate of our world some people deceitful shameful, corrupt, volatile. But the larger words are the ones that were repeated more often. Polarizing, hypocritical, selfish, ungodly, childish. And the most occurring one, which is if I were going to describe it in one word, it's the word I would use is divisive. We live in a world where the political climate, and this is certainly true of our politics, and it's kind of overlapped into a lot of different areas of life, is simply divisive. And where, where people used to be able to have civil conversations, to, to be able to, to sit down and debate and talk over things has become so polarized. Not just in political arenas, but it's, it's seeped its way into all of our lives as well. See, I wish we could look at words like that and just say, well, man, that's why, I, that's why I'm not a politician. Because I wouldn't want to be involved in a world like that. But the reality is some of those spirits and attitudes over politics have certainly creeped their way into the body of Christ. Some of those words and attitudes describe how we are relating to one another in this season. And in a world that has become so divisive and polarized over issues, tonight we're going to look at why, why now more than ever, it's important for the church to stand for unity. Why unity in the body of Christ, unity in the church, if you're a Christian, why unity matters now more than ever before. We live in a divided world, so why does unity matter so much to us? Well, we're gonna look at three reasons tonight that unity is so important from God's word. The first reason that unity is so important is this, that our unity as a church demonstrates the power of the gospel. Our unity as a church demonstrates the power of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Galatians 3 says this, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters. It's not a specific term, sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This passage speaks to the reality of the breaking down of the fundamental divisions of the day for those who have placed their faith, who are part of the church, the body of Christ, who are, as Paul words, in Christ Jesus. And to our eyes, these three kind of solutions or these three categories, excuse me, that he has here, we're, we may just at the service not quite understand them. But the Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile distinction was the a foundational distinction in their day. It encompassed all sorts of different areas. It certainly encompassed their worship. When it looked back to Old Testament and throughout history, it encompassed politics. It it encompassed ethnicity and how they saw themselves. And that was a fundamental division. You had Jews and then you had everyone else. And the gospel says, well, those things no longer divide. Those do not break us apart anymore. The next is this idea of being slave or free. See, in in the time of the Bible, slavery is not like how we often in the U.S. think of slavery being a racially motivated thing. Back in their time, slavery was such a common thing that, that anyone could have been at almost any moment soon to be subject to slavery. And if you weren't, but if you were a free person, if you were one who had slaves, who was a master, it was seen certainly as a higher status. But in Jesus, even those who were slaves to someone else were not inferior beings. They were not subject to others. They weren't second class. But even the slaves had equal standing before God as those who are free. Then he says there is neither male nor female. Now, this obviously doesn't mean that our gender no longer exists. But in this culture that was a heavy male-dominated culture, females had women had hardly any rights, and privileges at all. And the cross of Jesus Christ, Christianity elevated the status and the role of women to being equal amongst men before Jesus Christ. This was a radical teaching of their time. 2,000 years ago, this was unheard of in their culture. So these distinctive things, Jew Jew and Greek, slave or free, male and female, would have been how people divided themselves. It's said that Jewish men would often pray a prayer during the day and say, God, I thank you that I am a Jew, that I am a free Jew, and that I am a man. These things that they would find their identity on are now cast aside because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It says there in that passage in Galatians 3 that they are um, to, to put on Christ right that, 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 that they've been baptized and have put on Christ that's the same word that's used in other expressions for clothing yourself that they have clothed themselves with Jesus this idea of unity it's almost like a metaphor of, of when you would go to a sports game remember remember when that still happened that people could attend sporting events And you would look and if you've ever been to a Chicago sporting event, like a Blackhawks game or a Bears game, you look down and you see the stadiums filled with people all with the same jersey on, right? It shows the unity that we have around our common team. The unity that we share isn't just something, but the unity we share that binds us together is Jesus Christ, He is the one who unites us no matter the distinctions, the differences, the backgrounds from which we come. We are united, it says, before that in Christ Jesus and then after he gives those categories again, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, our union with Christ is fundamental to understanding why we should be united to other believers our union with Christ, we have died and our life is now hidden with Jesus. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, your life is united to Jesus. What that also then means is your life is now to be united to his body, which the Bible says is the church. See, to be united to Jesus means that our call also is then to be united to his body, the church. And this is not an option that we get. We don't get to decide, yes, I want to have salvation in Jesus, but I don't want to be united to the rest of his people. No, it goes together. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four, he says this, that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in Jesus that brings us together, the bond of peace for there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I hope you caught the key word there over and over again, right? One. We serve one God. We're all members of one family together because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, this passage here in Ephesians it's a good reminder that unity is not to be achieved at all costs, right? It's, it's not as if it doesn't matter what you believe. No, no one cares about what you believe. Just come, come here and we'll be united together. No, our beliefs matter, matter incredibly important. They are so vital to what we are. But we are of one spirit. We are of one body. We have one Lord, one faith. But what happens is, is that we can start to create our own categories of oneness that we think people need to have to be part of the body of Christ. And we start to make subcategories underneath what scripture calls to say, no, this is what people need to assent to for unity. And unfortunately, often in our political leanings and ideologies, we have created categories that, that this is what it takes to be united, that you also think and vote and support this brand of politics. See, political differences are not gospel differences. Political differences are not gospel differences. It is perfectly acceptable for people who love Jesus Christ passionately to disagree politically. That is okay. And it happens and it will always happen, but they can still be united See, when we, when we start to understand what this union with Christ means and being united to his body, what, what we need to understand is this. Jesus didn't just come to change our behavior. Jesus came to change our identity, the core of who we are. Jesus didn't just come so that you would act a different way, live a different way, vote a certain way. Jesus came to change the very core of who we are. And when our identity, when we realize that if you are a follower of Jesus, your identity is in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. The fundamental identity of who you now are is you are his. When you start to understand that everything else that also describes you in your life can take a back seat and it can, you can find unity with those whom you don't share that commonality. Why? Because you share the ultimate commonality and identity and that you both belong to Jesus. See, back then, 2,000 years ago, it was Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. Today in our world, the, the distinctions would be different. And amongst them would certainly be Republican and Democrat, that those things may divide us. Our world may say, you, you can't coexist with how you look at this, but we can come together and say, yes, we may think one way or the other about politics, but before all of that, we are Christians. We are united to Jesus. And these other things don't divide us because our relationship with Jesus is the central identity on which we base our lives. Now, we only will live that way when we believe that way in our hearts. And I think, unfortunately, for some of us, the reason we don't think that way, the reason we don't act that way, is because we have allowed our identity in Christ to be pushed to the side and other things to take the place. And in this political season, we've seen that for some, perhaps that thing that's taken the place of the core identity of our hearts is a political party or position or person to vote for. I just want to encourage you to search your heart. Are you finding your identity in Jesus alone? Because unity is impossible in the church unless we are identified, unified around Jesus Christ. So unity in the church demonstrates the power of the gospel. Secondly, unity in the church declares the love of Christ. Unity in the church declares the love of Jesus jesus and what he has done and it's an outward expression of the love that we have received as followers of jesus see the most basic commands the the ethical command of which we are to live our lives is followed under this what it looks like to love jesus put it this way in matthew chapter 22 he was asked this question teacher what is the great commandment of the law and Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And therefore like, all right, we got it. We're to love God. And then he says this, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All of the Old Testament is fulfilled in this. Love God, love people. Love God love people. See, the love that we have received from God is to transcend all barriers and boundaries that we would take, uh, that we would put in place. It's why in one story in the gospels, when when the, the teacher asked Jesus this, he then asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with the parable of the good Samaritan. A man who is so different than this, but he's the one who's identified as your neighbor, different in every single category that one could think of. But no, this man is your neighbor. And so what we need to ask ourselves in this season as followers of Jesus is this, what does love look like right now? What does it look like to love someone with whom I disagree politically? How can love transform my heart and my relationships right now? What does love require of me today to those whom I'm struggling with, maybe who I see things differently with? I think in our climate, a few suggestions for what love could look like. First, I think love looks a lot like listening to others. We practice the love of Jesus and people see the love of Jesus in our lives when we listen to one another, when we build relationships with people who are different than we are. See, and when I say that you need to listen so often, when it comes to the realm of politics in our disagreements, we listen to what someone's saying, but we're not listening to understand. We're not listening to comprehend. We're listening to formulate our comeback Right? We're listening only enough to get the soundbite, to get the ammunition that we need to come back on them, whether that's a face-to-face conversation over the internet, over the telephone. We listen just enough to push back on them. What if instead, love said, actually, what if it looks like you listen to understand? What if you listen to understand? And if instead of getting ready to come back and push back against a position or opinion they got, you actually dug deeper and you asked more questions and you didn't worry so much about your side of things being heard as to make sure you were listening to someone else see when we listen to others we show love and honor and respect towards them so one way we can demonstrate love in this climate is to listen another is to learn to learn from the people around us, to learn why they view things differently, to learn from them and to learn about their views and viewpoints. See, one of the, the most frustrating things, I think, of this climate in which we find ourselves is there's so much labeling and stereotyping of people right? If you see someone with whom you disagree, it can be so easy to be like, oh, well, you know why that person's that way? It's because they hate this. They don't like this. And if you we can come up with all sorts of lists on why this person did that thing. Why does a person want to vote for this candidate? Oh, well, I know why, because it must mean they are this, this, that we're so quick to label others. And I just know for me, I hate it when people label me, when people stereotype me just because they know one small thing that they assume all these other things to be true about me. So instead of just assuming things to be true, instead of labeling people, what if we actually learned? What if we actually learned about them, learned why they think that, learned why they would vote that way or why they would support that given candidate? See, so often in in politics, the conversation starts or at some point it says something like, it's like, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how someone could ever. I don't understand how this person could ever vote for this person, for this party. I don't understand. All you're doing when you say that is you're admitting your own ignorance and that you haven't begun to understand the other side of the viewpoint. See, if you have no comprehension on how someone could agree with or disagree with you politically, then you are not understanding them well. You're not listening with humility. You're not learning from one another's. See, and even if you listen to others, even if you learn from them, I want you to know this. You don't need to agree with someone to love them. You don't need to agree with someone to love them. See, even if you listen, even if you learn, guess what? We will disagree on things, but you don't have to agree with them to love them. I love that, that Jesus calls us to this. Jesus calls us to this, even those with whom we vehemently disagree on important issues, we are called to love. There's no escaping this command for those of us who are followers of Jesus. You think, well, well, yeah, but, but what if they're not a follower of Jesus? What if I would even consider this other person my enemy, my opponents? Well, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We all go, yeah, I like that. But what does Jesus say? But I say to you, love your enemies? the same. See Jesus calls us in the midst of our climate to love one another through our differences. I love how Francis Schaeffer wrote many years ago. He put it this way. It is in the midst of differences that we have our golden opportunity. When everything is going well and we are standing around in a nice little circle, there's not much to be seen by the world. But when we come to the place where there is real difference and we exhibit uncompromised principles, but at the same time, observable love, then there is something that the world can see, something they can use to judge that these really are Christians and that Jesus has indeed been sent by the Father. See, now more than ever, may it be said that the church, the body of Christ is known for its Love, that we be united in our love for one another, despite our backgrounds, despite our differences, despite how we may vote. None of those things excludes us from this command that we are to be a people defined by love. What if Christians were known over the next two and a half weeks leading up to the election as those who spoke love into the conversation? How would that start to change people's hearts? How would that start to change? Attitudes. So, love is a compelling reason that we are to be unified in this divisive world. The third reason that unity is so important is this that unity displays our witness to the world. Unity displays our witness, our our testimony of what Jesus has done. It shows it to the world. This was Jesus's prayer for us as followers of Jesus, that our unity would be a witness to the world. Jesus prays this in John chapter 17. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's, that's us. All right? Jesus is praying for the church, those who would come after the disciples who would believe in him. He prays for us that they may all be one, that we would be united, unified, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So what's the standard of unity that Jesus is praying for? It's of the Father and the Son. That's the level of unity that he says should characterize the church that we are to look for, to go for. That they may also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity is so that the world may look and may see the gospel lived out through our lives. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. See, the unity of the church is a powerful witness to the world. The unity of the church is to be the powerful witness to the world. And many in Christianity, it seems like, many in the church say, well, just keep going almost from gimmick to gimmick, keep trying all these new things, adjusting church, doing different things, different ways and saying, well, maybe this will reach people. Maybe this will reach people. Maybe this will be a witness to the world. And I think oftentimes those people have good motives. I think we so often have neglected the most important witness to the world. And that's this, our unity as the body of Christ. Our unity as the body of Christ is the most important witness we have to the world. To reach this world, in this political climate, in this season, we now more than ever need unity. Now more than ever, we need unity in the church. See, we love at Moody Church, and and I love it too. We love to highlight our diversity, right? We love to say how many different backgrounds people come from, how many different nations that we're a church from all over the city who come from all, we, we love to highlight our diversity. And it is a blessing from God, absolutely. But a diverse church is not all that we're called to. See, a diverse church that's not a unified church is a failing church, a diverse church that is not a unified church is a failing church. Jesus just doesn't call us to be diverse. Jesus calls us to be unified, to be united as one, just as he and the father are one. See, our diversity, I think, makes it an even greater challenge towards unity, right? I mean, if you think about it, if, if everyone who is a part of Moody Church, if we all, came from the same place, if we all looked the exact same way, went to the same schools, had the same background, and worked the same type of careers, unity would not be very hard. Why? Because we would all basically have the same framework and worldview and think very similarly about these things. But one of the, the difficulties that diversity brings, the challenges, is that it provides obstacles to unity. It's more difficult because of the backgrounds from which we come. But get this diversity makes unity a greater challenge, but a greater testimony as well. Diversity makes unity a greater challenge, but also a greater testimony. I don't know if you've ever seen a group of people who are like really close and you're like, well, yeah, you all look exactly like you could all be like family. You, You just look, you act, your backgrounds, everything is exactly the same. Nothing about that is surprising. But then if you look at a group of people who are like, how did you meet each other? You are totally different. You come from such different backgrounds. You look different. Everything is so different. See, that's a powerful testimony of unity amidst diversity. And we have the chance, Moody Church. We have the chance in this city, in the diverse body of Christ that Jesus has brought here in this time, in this season. When we are united, it will be a challenge, but it will be a great testimony to our city and to our world. See, unity in the body of Christ depends on each and every one of us. Unity in the body of Christ depends on each and every one of us. If one person fails, the whole thing starts to fail. I like to think of unity like I think of a chain on a bike. If you know me, you know I love to bike and have biked for a long time. Most chains on a bike have somewhere around 116 different, what are called links on the chain. Now, if, a, if 115 links on the chain are working well, but there's only one, only one breaks, guess what? The whole thing falls apart. Why? Because it needs all of them to work together to be united as one chain for it to function how it should. See, if, if all of us are on board, being united, setting aside our differences for the sake of Christ, for the sake of our witness to the world, living in love for one another, but there's just one of us who's like, I don't wanna do that or I'll say I'll do that, but I'm not gonna live that. If just one of us starts to disrupt unity, then it breaks the chain. So if unity depends just on you, how are we doing? Because the reality is unity does depend on each and every one of us. It's a powerful witness, a powerful testimony to our world today. And in this season, now more than ever, it can be a way that our light shines bright for all to see. See, I just want to encourage you. I want to remind you, it is possible to share deep love and unity with those to whom you disagree politically. It's not only possible, it's what God has called us to. In the previous election cycle, four years ago, I remember I was here in a room at our church, and I was having a conversation um, with a young man. And he—he he was uh, there. Was a few of us gathered together, and he was—he was saying how, man, you know what? Just politics is so important. It's so fundamental. And he said, "I—I I could never date. I could never marry someone who didn't have the same political views. Who didn't vote for the same person that I voted for." And I said, "Oh, that—that's interesting. Can you?" Just share with me more. And he's, well, it's, it's just too fundamental. Like it, it's such an important thing. You, you couldn't really be with someone. You couldn't really know someone with whom you don't vote for the same person. To which I just kind of paused and I looked at him. I said, well, you know, this will be the third, this now will be the fourth election in which my wife and I have either been dating or been married. And we've never voted for the same presidential candidate after he picked his jaw off from the floor, I think he said, well, well how, how does that work? And so well, here's how it works. We get up in the morning on the day of the election. We walk together to the polls. We vote, we walk home, and we go about living our lives. And it blew his mind, but see, here, here's the thing. There's more important things, our love for each other, our love for our family, our love for Jesus, our love for the church, that we are very different people. We come from very different things, very different backgrounds. But guess what? It doesn't divide us in any way at all. It is possible to love and to be united to those whom you disagree with politically. And that's what we have to do, church, in this season. See, our world looks at this. We look at this, this is the world in which we live, all of us, all of us. This is the climate in which we will live. And this isn't gonna go away in two and a half weeks, right? This is the world in which we now live. But what if, what if the church was known for how the New Testament, how the Bible says we should live? What if the church looked like this? What if we are characterized by compassion, kindness, service to others, goodness, unity, grace, love for others. See, these are words that the New Testament describes how we need to be as the body of Christ. Politics are important, yes, but politics should never divide the body of Christ. We are united to him and so united to each other we're to love one another, even if you consider your political enemy your enemy, you're still to love them. And it should be the most powerful witness to our world in this season. And that's why unity is so, so important. God, we thank you that we can be united to you because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. God, I pray for our church I pray for our city. I pray for for every Christian, not just at Moody Church, I pray for every Christian who lives in Chicago and in the U.S. at this time. God, may our testimony of unity override division. God, may you not allow strongholds, may you not allow division to take place in any church, may it not happen in this church. God, that we would be united around the gospel, around what Jesus has done for us, And see how that trumps, how that overrides all differences that we may have in our worlds. May the unity of this church be a bright light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to this city in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.